First, we'll uh, ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the time in it. We'd ask that our minds would be built up to reflect your thoughts on life and on your creation. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. I'm a big fan of John the Baptist. Maybe because I was raised a Southern Baptist and sort of John the Baptist, right there in the Bible you have somebody of your denomination. Just kidding. But he was a Baptist. It's like a, like the, uh, what do they call him? Like Joe Vandal. You have John the Baptist for the Baptists. Well, John the Baptist is not just important uh, in my encounter with the scriptures, but very important in the, the coming of our salvation. And in many ways, you wonder, what, why was that necessary? Why was John the Baptist necessary? One of the passages that prophesies one of the passages that prophesies the coming of John is in Malachi 3, right at the top of the right-hand side. Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me, says the Lord, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver till they present right offerings to the Lord. Well, Malachi, thinking this, this is so you can, you can hear me better. I don't know what's happening. Uh, looking back from having seen John the Baptist show up having seen him prepare the way of the Lord before him um, you can recognize what Malachi was talking about but I wanted to you know I wanted to have that verse at the beginning just so it says in verse 2 you, who could endure the day of his coming who can stand when he appears well, each of us, are, we're Christians. We're at church because we didn't have something else to do Sunday morning. We had fellowship with the saints to do Sunday morning. We had time in the Word to do, singing the praises of God to do. We, we're interested in this. We, we want to endure. We want to stand on the day of His appearing. And what I wanted you also to notice from this passage is it comes as something that refines and cleanses it refines and cleanses in this process of getting you ready to endure and stand so that you would present right offerings to the Lord so when we, when we have Malachi prophesying the coming of John, and just a few hundred years prior to John. I mean, Malachi is the end of the Old Testament, and it's maybe 300, 300, 400 years before 
uh, John does come. But when we get to that place, when we have the messenger show up, the preparer of the way, and then the Lord suddenly coming into his temple, and we're recognizing it, we don't want to lose sight of what the prophet said John was there to do. He was to refine, he was to cleanse, get us to the point where we present right offerings to the Lord, preparing the way. Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather girdle around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And you may be saying to yourself, Why did he put that phrase about his girdle in bold and red? There's an awful lot going on in John the Baptist. He's not only this coming preparer of the way, which has a huge purpose. I mean, all of our salvation, right? All of you being cleansed, refined, being able to endure the judgments of God, being able to stand at his appearing, present good sacrifices to God. Those, all those things are resting on this um, exchange that both John walked into the world to do and then the Christ almost as a call and response. Here's this call of John and then the response of Jesus Christ. They both preach. You read the Gospels. You both see them preaching. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's the one that was prophesied that he would make the path straight. So I, I, I want to start adding up all the terminology. Cleansing, refining, enduring, standing, right offerings, the way of the Lord, and making it straight. This is not, now I used to have a motorcycle. I wanted to tell you that just because, well, my points go up. You know, as a, as a youth pastor who can relate to the youth. But in the, in the path of a motorcycle, and I recommend it to you all, I know it will cost some of you your lives, but it's worth it. Because you can ride from Missoula down to Lewiston on Lolo Trail and just enjoy every square inch of that road every curve you can lean into. And you're sort of grateful this is not Iowa. It's Idaho. And so the roads are curvy if you have a motorcycle. In that case, the road's lack of straightness is actually, you say, well, let's adjust our machine to have curviness work for it. Now, I don't know if you've ever ridden in my minivan with me, but it's sad because I go into a curve and I lean physically into it in a minivan. It doesn't do a thing. I don't know if any of you other guys do this. 
lean into the curve. That works for the motorcycle. That doesn't work for the minivan. Well, God doesn't want us, in antiquity, they didn't have motorcycles, they didn't say, uh, let's take one wheel off that chariot, or just put them in line. They didn't have bicycles, they didn't have those sorts of machines. So it's far better to straighten the road. Far better to have a highway that all the high places are taken out and all the curved spots are removed. Make the way straight for the Lord. Because everybody who had to take anything anywhere was so grateful when the Persian highway system or the Roman highway system worked a stretch of road out. Now, I don't know where you stand on this new uh, four-lane road with its stops down at uh, someplace. And they're going to connect it all the way through to Moscow. And you're trying, oh my heavens, I can get to Lewiston in two minutes. You're grateful for straightening the road because it gets you from here to there efficiently. We're not looking for a beautiful motorcycle trip. We're looking to get our stuff to the end of our lives the way it is desired at the end of our lives till we present right offerings. Now the reason you say, well, you're seeming to dodge the question, Devin, why did you put his camel hair leather girdle thing in bold and red. Over on the left hand side, 2 Kings 1, 7, and he said to them, this is Azariah, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, he wore a garment of hair cloth with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. The description alone was enough to recognize Elijah. And they make the same description of John. Jesus says at another point, he is Elijah who is to come, if you're willing to accept it. He is Elijah. Now, Elijah, not only is John the Baptist exciting, right? John the Baptist is, you know, relative of Jesus Christ, kind of a lunatic out in the wilderness, gets his head chopped off because some girl did a sexy dance in front of Herod. It's got, it's got, it's got TV written all over it. Elijah's just as good. I mean, we're not talking about Amos, you know. We're not talking about Hosea. Hosea had to marry a, a woman of ill repute. Oh, great prophetic ministry, Hosea. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Oh, good for you, Jeremiah. Elijah, he was like, he was like Tim the magician. He was, he could do things. He he didn't. You don't read Book of Elijah. You ever notice that there's no Book of Elijah in the Old Testament? The prophecies of Elijah. He just went around shooting things up. If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you when you're fifty. The next line is, and fire came down from heaven and consumed him in his fifty. Yeah, Elijah's a, he's, he's, he's really kind of a macho prophet. And John the Baptist, however you want to accept it, is Elijah. And you're supposed to, the reason the writer of the gospel put that in there is so that you go, oh, it is Elijah the Tishbite. He wore a garment of hair cloth 
and a girdle of leather. It's like saying, he had a red cape and a big S on his chest. Ah, I didn't get that. Is that something special? Superman. Elijah. Now, I want you to feel the weight of what is... This is the, this moment in history that God has sent his preparer of the way before him because this is the most important event in the history of the world. Right? If you're going to have a prep going into it, this is one of the situations that's going to be a prep. Need a prep. People are going to see the Messiah or not see the Messiah. He's preparing the way of the Lord. Because he's going to suddenly come into his temple. And you see, even with the preparation, what it was like for Jesus Christ, that he survived as long as he did is, is a miracle in itself. And we want to study John because there is a task he's about that every person who comes to grace in Jesus Christ has to basically go through. We all are moved through a place where the announcement of the Son of God comes into our lives and we either respond like we ought to respond or we don't. But it's going to follow this pattern. Verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. We should watch what happens to these people. They confess. They come out there. He's, a, he's like Billy Graham. Down by the river. They're confessing their sins. They're being baptized. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's not a real, you know, winsome pastor. You expect him to shake their hands at the door and greet them, make them feel comfortable, let them know it's okay, yeah, they can repent too. No, he's not having any of it. So these guys are just awful. You guys are awful. Now why? Because there's more than just getting wet to talk about how sorry you are for your sins. People, you see this at, the, at New Year's, right? I don't know if you do this. New Year's resolutions. Why do you make them? Because you're sorry that you're the way you are. You're sorry. I'm going to fix this. We try to repent all the time. Oh, I just can't do that anymore. I mean, talk to the average drunk late on Friday night. I'm never doing this again. Until next week. They make promises. They repent. I will never. I was so wrong. It's not enough. John has got a... He's, he's saying, who's going to endure? Who's going to stand 
who's going to present right offerings to God. I'm here to prepare the way of the Lord because it's not me. Uh, he's not the Messiah. Repentance to the preaching of John didn't do anything. Just proved you were sorry enough to go through a ceremony down by the river. What does John want? Bear fruit, verse 8, that befits repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Oh man, what is the what happens when people get on a religious jag that it starts with them being sorry for their sins? They swing so quickly over into the religious claims. How long their denomination has been around. That's where they take their solace. He said, don't, don't make presumptions when you get here. Because repentance and confession can be followed by presumption pretty quickly. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. We have got a certain, this is a good that is present in our lives, is our history as a people. John says, big whoop, everything that you have, sure, you are a descendant of Abraham. But I want to tell you right now, I can make those out of those Twinkies. I could turn a pack of Twinkies into the patriarchs if you want me to. Well, you're not treating that with the right reverence. A pack of Twinkies I could turn into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob right now. What's the big deal? Don't you realize that you're hiding don't you realize that you're hiding your unwillingness to bear fruit that befits repentance by sufficient religious claim and association? I belong to the right groups. He says, even now, verse 10, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, He's walking up to these guys, leaders of the religious community, and shoving them. I mean, shoving them a little hard. Not just refusing to shake their hands. Just saying, until you guys show me that your repentance worked, we're just sort of happy if someone walks the aisle and says, I'm sorry for being a sinner. He's going weeping. And great. You bet. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. John's not giving anyone the benefit of the doubt. If there's doubt about your repentance... And people are wondering, I wonder if when they became a Christian, if they became a Christian. Because you, we need to realize, this is what Elijah John the Baptist are up to. They're wading into this matter with their guns slung low, ready to deal, so that you would understand what the Messiah meant. Because the Messiah was this on steroids. And they came in ready to shoot someone in the thigh just to make them shut up so they could talk to them. Do you understand what repentance is supposed to mean? What victory? Where, where we're going? The preparing the way of the Lord, making straight the paths of the Lord, that what he was going to do was going to make sense to you. 
what he was going to do that you didn't cheapen by just surrounding by a bunch of religious associations of how long your theology has been around. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This road of repentance goes someplace else other than repentance. That both for John and for Jesus, results are what matter. Not just grace to you because who knows if you'll use it well, but just grace. We're just going to give you grace and thank you. We're going to be nice to you. No, it's going to be, I'm going to be nice to you, I'm going to be gracious to you, that you would bear fruit that befits repentance. And it's going to be more so with the guy I'm announcing. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Think of, add that to your metaphor list. You've got refining. You've got refining, you've got cleansing. What is this? What do you use in other metaphors here? Bearing fruit, an orchard bearing fruit. And, and you could probably, you know, flannel graph these into positive images for yourself. You know, you, just, you see, a, you know, a Pittsburgh uh, steel crucible being poured out and the steel being molten and that's what Jesus is doing to you. You're not thinking of how much that would hurt if that were you. And how the slag has to be burned off. No offense, John. We like to think of going down to the ba- we have a pretty new dish uh, clothes washer in the basement. It looks like the, the bridge of the Starship Enterprise in my basement. And you walk down there and you throw the laundry in there. I don't. My wife does. And the, the lights go boop, 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 and it sings a little song to you and you push some buttons and clothes come out clean. Well, they didn't have that in 40 BC. The women were down by the river taking a rock and hitting your clothes with them. Soap was harsh. Animal fat and potash and they would beat it on a rock in the middle of the stream, probably singing a charming Jewish song. Fuller's soap, refining fire. He wants something out of you. This whole process, he pulls a guy who eats bugs and wears funny clothes because it looks like a guy who wore funny clothes 800 years earlier saying unthinkable things to everybody and saying God expects you to end up someplace good, better than this. And if you don't, you will perish. At my hand or at the Lord's hand. (coughs) 
He tells us that he is coming after him, and then Jesus shows up in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, a lot of theologians argue over, fulfill all righteousness, why did Jesus get baptized? And he doesn't actually go into great detail about why he got baptized, but it was to fulfill all righteousness. But I want you to think of that. Think of that phrase. John and Jesus were coming with two baptisms. One was repentance, and one was the Holy Spirit. I want you to think of the message of John... what he was expecting of people, shoving them in the middle of the chest saying, you had better straighten up because God is just going to get worse. When Jesus shows up, you don't want to be here when Jesus shows up. Who can stand the day of his appearing? Who can endure his coming? Do you realize who he is? And we've got, you're talking about Jesus in my Bible story book who's always smiling with a child on his lap? Well, yeah, you suffer the little children, but generally you beat up on Pharisees and Sadducees. Any adult who's been up to sin, I think C.S. Lewis pointed out that Jesus spent the most time on hell of anybody in the Bible. Everybody sort of thinks, no, it was all Paul or, you know, prophets. Now Jesus, meek and mild. He's taking us somewhere. This is not a matter of you having a religious experience that you will like, that will benefit you, that will cost you nothing. It's not just the freedom of the grace. It's not just, it's the wonder in the freedom of the grace that does a certain thing. Because he is going to thrash the wheat. And the chaff he's going to burn with unquenchable fire. The dirt he's going to wash out of your clothes. And the slag, again, apologies John, He's going to burn off. He's going to refine. He's going to fulfill all righteousness. And as he walks through his baptism by John, then the Holy Spirit descends from heaven and lights on him, sort of tidying up the images, your water baptism, Holy Spirit, the pleasure of God. The idea is that the way of the Lord that is coming into your life, the Christ, being prepared by John, you're being prepared by repentance. Do not get caught up into your religion. Don't get caught up into everything that would not make you more righteous. You want to be able to say, or have God say of you, this is another of my sons, I'm well pleased. 
you want to be able to say, not only was I baptized in the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, but I was baptized by the Holy Ghost. Because that's the one, that's the baptism that counts. So the repentance, sometimes we have a religious experience of getting finally on our knees and repenting of our sins. It's a beginning and it's not the end. It's a way prepared for us in front of that. We need to know where we're going. And whatever metaphor, pick one of the metaphors, pick all of the metaphors, come up with your own metaphor for what God is doing in Christ to you. What would you use to describe what happened to you? I would talk to all of you about your conversion. Some. How would you describe it? How would you say, well, you know, it was kind of like, you know, uh, I I was, it was like a good hike. Good hike. Try another metaphor. Well, it was like, I don't know what the metaphor would be because I don't know how you felt. I don't know what you've experienced. But the biblical metaphors are refining, cleaning, threshing, you being changed into the righteousness of God, fulfilling all righteousness, getting the pleasure of God on you for the fruit you then bore. Because repentance toward the Christ, preparing the way of the Christ. This is not Old Testament religion in John. He's saying, I am the transition. I am pointing the way as a prophet of God to the Messiah. And the Messiah is there that you would bear yourself in all righteousness. And to whatever degree of unrighteousness that you are still allowing, that is something that isn't obviously all righteousness. It doesn't get the pleasure of God. It needs to be burned off. It needs to be cleansed. Is he well pleased with you? Now, I want you to think about how you're describing it. Because John is in this mix describing it. Matthew is in this mix describing what John described. The other apostles did as well. The Christ did. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit. How far into this religion? Because you can stop. You know, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were there to get baptized of repentance. And he's going, back up. Unless you're ready to bear fruit that befits repentance. A life pleasing and right offering to God. You don't have any place here. You need to be going where it's going. But they would say, no, this is good enough. We'll go through a repentance act and then we'll, we'll, we'll tie ourselves up in the temple efforts and our, our history as a genealogy of a people, tracking ourselves back to the patriarchs and Abraham. He says, that's, that's worthless. If you want to present that which has value, you need to assess whether or not the preaching of the Baptist and the coming of the Christ in your life was that which brought repentance, cleansing, refining unto holiness so that God would be pleased, so that you would fulfill all righteousness. That's what you've got to ask. If you're not fulfilling all righteousness, you've got things to do this afternoon. 
which is turn around and repent again and offer yourself up to the righteousness of God. Because we're supposed to have the life. I have two more passages here that I just want to go through quickly. Because right at this moment, John is saying, you know, he's coming that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I don't know if you noticed that Holy Spirit with fire that he talks about threshing and the chaff being burned. It's like the baptism produces the wheat and the fruit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of fire is the judgment of God on those of you who need to be burned up. Now, some, eternally, others, Christians, who just need to have their works burned up and suffering loss because of it, out of Corinthians. But this idea tracks through the next bit of the Christian experience as it's being announced, Acts 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dwelt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. Remember, that's what had been announced. The kingdom of God is at hand. And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. Quoting Christ here, For John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So you say, yeah, I know that story. It's the Pentecost, right? Yeah, it's coming up. Acts 11. This is Peter speaking. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Quoting chapter 1. Quoting the referent that John the Baptist had laid out there, saying, this is the process. My message of repentance leading you to the Holy Spirit, that you would bear fruit. The baptism of Christ is fire and fruit-bearing Holy Spirit. <coughs> and Peter remembers this, having just preached to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. He says, I remember, I remembered how John, John baptized with water, but we shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then, verse 17, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? That lets you know what all this has been about. That your repentance, you being prepared for the way of the Lord coming into you, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, calling on the name of the Lord to be saved, when we believed we got this gift, when Cornelius believed he got this gift, and they defined it this way, when they heard this, they were silenced. This is the Jews back in Jerusalem. And they glorified God. This is overcoming a huge hurdle. Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter had to have a vision of unclean animals lowered from heaven to go even talk to the guy. And now Peter's got to come back and explain what his mission had just done. So all these Jews are glorifying God because of the effect of this track 
that we call salvation, maybe simplistically, what we call conversion, simplistically. It's the way of the Lord. It's the kingdom of God. They glorified God. Then to the Gentiles, also, God has granted repentance unto life. That's a great description. I was granted repentance unto life. And that sums up this whole thing we've been talking about since John the Baptist showed up. Because the whole thing is, I want to endure. I want to stand at his appearing. I want to offer sacrifices, right offerings to God. I want to not be destroyed. What is the path I take? Repentance unto life. Not repentance. Not just I'm sorry for being such a jerk. Not just I'm sorry, but I'm repenting along a path unto something. What? Here it's called life. Another metaphor. It's like when St. Paul says in Romans 7, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's how you should have thought about your non-belief. And what do you think of your belief? You should think of it as life itself. So that when you describe it, when you see it happening, when Cornelius believes and the Holy Spirit falls on him in his household, the Jews have to go. That's repentance unto life. That's what we're about as Christians. Not repentance, not theology. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are early Christians, didn't have any of the historic associations that we do today. We could look back through two millennia of famous Christians. They couldn't. They were the only Christians who had ever been. And they're trying to convince the people with a long history, like the Jews who had Abraham as their father, that no, really, honest, our new idea here about that Jewish carpenter we got killed a few years ago, he's God. Understand, we'd have a hard time with that. They were preaching something that took not just, it, it wasn't just a theology of repentance and uh, faith without works is dead. We're not asking you to affirm a theology that faithful living is necessary to the Christian life. No, we're asking you to have a life that is faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not have a theology of it, but have it. Not just have a belief in life, but have the life. Repentance uh, gets you underway. Guilt for sins, the need for judgment, life eternal. Repentance unto. You're turning along a path. How straight is it? Is it pointing to Jesus Christ? <coughs> is it through the Holy Spirit? What are the metaphors? <coughs> Excuse me. What are the things that you would use to describe your life? Or more aptly, someone who knows you closely. Spouse, the wife, the husband, the children. Give them a pen with this act and say, hey, one, one page. Just ask you, describe 
as honestly as possible, my Christianity. How would you describe my Christian walk? You want the word life to show up. (coughs) Well, lest I descend into a coughing fit, we're at the end of the passage. So let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Your Son has done in us, by your grace and your spirit, what we needed. We'd ask that we would attend to it that we present it that way to the non-believers, that we would be the thing they want to get to, that the life, the cleansing, the refining, the fruit of what belief and your work on the cross provided. Help us think on these terms and give ourselves no edge to become religious instead of living. In your son's name, amen.